As we do over the next few weeks, we're going to look at three, four chapters, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 in there. And in that section is right before the crucifixion, and in that is what's called the final discourse. The final discourse. It's Jesus' last teaching as a private. It was just him and the disciples. It was his last opportunity to teach them the foundations for this new community, this new thing that he was doing. Right? They all had received him as the king. Right? And he came into Jerusalem on the donkey. You all know the story, right? So he's the new king, and he's got this new kingdom, this new kingdom community that he's building. And so this is the foundation that he's laying out for them over these next few chapters that we're going to look through. What this community is all about in this final discourse. It began, what you talked about last week, in the, at the Last Supper. The Last Supper was the, they call it that because it was the Last Supper with Jesus and the disciples. It was during Passover. It was a party in town. And so everybody was in the right mood to get together and let's have, you know what it's like when it's a party in town, right? You think of it as a tailgate, right? Everybody's feeling good, everybody's having a great time, it's a celebration. Let's get together and share food with the people I care about the most. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. And at this party where everybody was, had expectations, we're getting together with the new king, Jesus. What does he do? He starts washing their feet. Like, what? 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 Never had a king that did that before. It's not the way it's supposed to happen, right? Everything was a little stressed. Everything was a little confusing. Every, things didn't make sense because the king is not supposed to wash feet. What's this all about? And then he says, and now y'all do it for one another. What? Like, like I, they, they were all confused. They got past that, though, and they started to enjoy their dinner. They enjoyed time together. Like, they were probably still thinking, like, what, what's, I'm, we missed something here. We don't know what's going on. But they, had, they enjoyed their evening together, this last supper. And then at the end of it, after supper, Jesus stands up and says, Now, uh, one of you is going to betray me. What? Why would anybody do that? And then Judas just up and leaves, and they don't understand why. I mean, they, they, they're obviously confused by things. I mean, it's supposed to, you ever had that event where, where you went to something, and it was, everything was going great, and somebody did something? Or somebody, you know, like, like somebody broke the dish and you were like, oh! everybody was like, oh no, it's like everything froze. That's kind of what happens in this story that, that when Jesus says somebody's going to betray me, like everything of the, the, the tenor of the room just flips. And everybody is confused. Everybody is confused. And in the midst of their confusion, why did Judas leave? Why would Jesus say one of us is going to betray him? Why ruin the good party? <laughs> like what's going on? In the middle of their confusion... Jesus does what he so often does. He adds to it. <laughs> he added to their confusion. And that's what he does for us, oftentimes. So if you're following along in your Bible, there should be one near you somewhere. We're in the Gospel of John, which that's like in the, the middle, but way back in the back. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are... Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. They all kind of tell the same story. Then the Gospel of John tells a whole... He brings in all new stuff. And this final discourse is part of that new teaching of Jesus that the other Gospels don't record. Uh, but that's where we're going to be in. John chapter 13, starting in verse 31. I've got it up here on the screen, but it, it's, it's always better for me to, uh, to look at it in front of me as well. Um, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself. And will glorify him at once. Huh? Like you, you read that and you're like, okay, that's, 
it's like one of those who's on first kind of stories, you know? It's like, okay, somebody's got to, like, walk me through it. Let's, let's put the pieces on the floor and let's move them around, okay? Who are we talking about here? Who are we talking about there? It's when you, if you, all those, all those days in English class that you slept through diagramming sentences, it comes back to haunt you when you read something like this because you have no clue what he just said. So I had to learn, right? So <laughs> it is very confusing. But what Jesus is saying is that, is that the, purpose, the reason I came is now. This is the reason I'm here. Like, like what's about to happen is going to glorify God. What I'm about to do is going to glorify He doesn't say, I can't, I've been waiting for this moment and I, I'm excited about it. No. He said, God's going to be glorified. God is going to be glorified in my obedience, in my doing what, frankly, I don't really want to do. And he cries that later on, that he doesn't, he's not looking forward to dying. But he does it out of obedience. And in his obedience, God is glorified. And because God is glorified in him, that Jesus is glorified. See how that works? That out of his obedience, God is made, God, he makes a lot out of God by doing what God asked him to do. And in just his obedience, in following through what he was called to do, that makes Jesus special, truly special, glorified. That brings him glory. And just like Jesus, we too have, have something that God calls us to do. And in our obedience, we bring glory to God when we do it. If we're not doing it for God, though, if we're not doing it out of our relationship with God, it doesn't bring glory to God. It, that's a, a catch that many people get hooked on. That, that oftentimes, I mean, we've heard it said that they were a good person. They did. They, I was like, he was a good guy. But that's we we buy into that. We we actually will tend to believe that, even though the good that we do is really just for us. For instance, you know, like like I help others when it's convenient to me. I mean, I'm a generous when I'm able. I serve in places that matter to me. Who's getting the glory there? Right. It's me. I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for God. I mean, okay, I might be doing it because part of me feels dutiful to God that I have to do it. But I'm actually doing it because it's convenient. It's, it, it, it's, it's okay for me to do that. That's the catch. And that's exactly what the disciples had fallen into when they, when they heard Jesus. They, see, they knew that following Jesus brought honor to God. And so they followed Jesus. They've been following Him, right? That's what they did to honor God. That's why Jesus said in verse 33, he said, My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. See, they've been following Jesus to honor God, and now Jesus is saying, you can't follow me anymore. And they're, they're on their heels like, Oh, we've been following you for three years. We've walked away from our families, our businesses. We've walked away from everything to follow you. Three years of my life I've given you, Jesus, and now you're going to tell me I can't come now? I mean, how many of you have been dumped? <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't matter how easy you let somebody down, they're still dumped. Right? They're, they're still, they still understand that, okay, I'm done. I'm toast. Right? That, what's the point in trying? We try anyway. We, we're like the disciples here. We're like, oh, but Jesus, you don't understand. Right? But <laughs> it doesn't help. But that's exactly the way they're feeling is life is moving on and you're not moving with me, right? That's, that's the way they feel, it's left behind. Now, we aren't sure if Jesus is talking about following him to the cross 
or following him to heaven. Or well, We're not sure exactly what Jesus is talking about, what, what he's following. But, but what he is saying for sure, what we do know is that he's talking about his purpose. What This time is for me. This isn't a time for you. This is a time for me to fulfill what I've been called to do. And he left them with a task. He didn't leave them with nothing to do, without a mission, without a purpose. He let them continue as a, with a purpose. And he said, and I believe that this task, this purpose applies to us today as, as much or more than it applied to them then. You see, because, because we don't have Jesus we can follow here today. We, don't, we can't like walk around behind Jesus like they could, right? Neither could they after his crucifixion. They couldn't walk around following Jesus like they had done all along. So instead, now Jesus changes things. Since you can't walk with me anymore, now you have to follow my lead. Follow my lead. That's what he's saying. Is it follow my lead? I don't know if any of you have ever taken dance classes. I had to. I was required before my wedding. My wife required me to take dance classes before my wedding. And, and if you've never done it before, uh, take dance classes. That is, uh, I, I would tell you this: that apologize to the person that you're with ahead of time. Uh, because when the person who is supposed to lead doesn't know what to do, it's a mess. My wife's feet were sore. I mean, it was, it was bad because I was all up over them. You know, I didn't know what in the world I was doing, and yet they told me, you have to lead this. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. What do you mean I have to? But no, that's follow my lead, Jesus said. I know what to do, and follow my lead, he says. I'm, you can follow me. I'm not going to stump- leave you stumbling around in the dark. He says, I give you a new command. And we know the rest of the verse, but I just want to stop us with that new command. Why was it new? It wasn't, really. I mean, they, they knew all along that it was a, they were called to love one another, right? In the Leviticus 19, in the law that was given to Moses, God told them way back, years ago, when they were wandering around the desert, love your neighbor as yourself. So love was always been a standard of theirs. And yet Jesus here calls it a new command. What's he why is he calling it new? Why is it such a new thing? I believe what Jesus goes on to say is that the standard had changed. The standard of love had changed. See, up until this point, love would be determined by love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you. Love you. Love like, like we were the standard. Like I can go and love people as much as I would love. Like I'm humanity is the standard. The law even gave us boundaries for that, right? We had to forgive everybody's debts every seven years. How would you like that, people with a mortgage, right? Like your, your mortgage is wiped out every seven years. Because why? Because God knew the heart of man was to take advantage, to manipulate people, to, to, to take. And they would be stuck in 30-year mortgages. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> like that's why God said your debts are erased every seven years. That's why he said to leave the edges of your field unharvested. Why? Because people are hungry. And just like everybody else, a farmer is going to pick everything in the field because it's money out there. But people are hungry. And so God says, leave the edges for the poor. Don't go back through the field and pick it again. Leave what's out there for those who don't have. Because, see, the laws to love were bound to our needs. What we wanted, would want if we were in that place, right? But that's what up Jesus is making a new command. And he says, he says in verse 34, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Just as I have loved you. So, so it was, love your neighbor as yourself. And now it is, love, 
as I love you. That's, that's a big change. That's an increase. He's, he's raising the bar substantially. See, it's no longer what I want. It's what he, how he loves. Not as I love, but as he loves. That is the standard for everybody. As I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved them? How did Jesus love them? Well, he, he spent time with them. Right? He taught them. He provided for them. He encouraged them. He equipped them. He, he gave them a purpose. He reconnected them with God. He taught, I mean, it, all the ways that Jesus loved them and spent time with them. He modeled for them. As I have loved you. That, that's what you're to do. But why? But why? I believe John, the Gospel writer, who wrote four other books in the New Testament, if you read the rest of his books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then the Revelation, if you read those books, you'll also understand the love of God in a different, maybe richer way, because after this event, John had a different perspective on love. And in 1st John 4, 10, he understands this new standard of love. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, where was the source of our love? God's love. God's love for us is the source of our love. That that is the new standard. It's the way that, because God loves us, we are to love like Jesus. And where, how can we do that? By reflecting, by remembering, by considering by orienting our life around the love that God has for you. That's, that's where it comes from. While our love was modeled by Jesus, it was inspired by God. It's inspired by God. And we know what Jesus' life looks like. We can read about it in the, in the Gospels. We can hear the things that he did and, and whatever else. But, but Jesus was God. Right? I mean, he was God. It, like, he was perfect. He didn't make mistakes. So, so to say love like Jesus, that's like, okay, like how do I do that? I ask that question all the time. Fortunately, the gospel writers, they, they, they asked themselves that question, and they answered it for the church because they knew we would want to know, like, okay, how does that look in my life to love like Jesus? What does that really look like? Paul, Peter, John, they all wrote in their letters to the churches in the back part of the New Testament, again and again and again, telling us to love. And they, sh- they explained what that love looks like. Matter of fact, John wrote about it in 1 John three sixteen through 19. St. John, different Bible, different book, I mean. He said, in, in verse 16, he said, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's what, that's what love is. Jesus gave his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, he says, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. See, what John is saying here is that it, as, if you know God's love, then you, then you will love one another. Because, because knowing and understanding how much God loves you changes you. Changes you. It changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you see other people. 
man, does it happen overnight? A little, and not. And over time, both. It, it happens, though. Love, you see, isn't about the way you feel. It's about, a, it, love is a verb, is what it said. It is said. It's like, love is action. Love is something you do when you love people. It's how you treated each other. And so the, God, the New Testament writers, they, they had a laundry list of all the things that, that what, it meant, what it looked like to love. Serve one another. Submit to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Restore one another. Accept one another. Care for one another. Bear with one another. Carry one another's burdens. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. So are we Christians if we do these things? No. No. That's the good person doing all the right things. If you're a Christian, you do all these things. Let's see the difference. You don't do them to become something. You do them because you are something. Otherwise, because if I do them without, follow, without seeking to glorify God, then all I'm doing is trying to make myself feel better, appear better, I'm not doing it for God. I'll just do the stuff that's convenient and, and, and works for me. I'll never like put myself really out there. That's why John said in, chapter, in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I have the best uh, mail carrier in the world here in Rock Hall. But occasionally I have somebody come by, uh, and particularly UPS, uh, we usually have different people. And uh, this Friday I had a UPS guy come by the house who was, and he, he drove the right truck, he had the right uniform on, he looked the part. He even had the UPS cap. Not working? Oh, turn it off, Emma. <laughs> he, looked like, he looked like a UPS driver. Except until he got out of the truck. And when he got out of the truck, he got packages, came up the front, went to the front door. <laughs> nobody goes to the front door. Like nobody ever goes, not at my house anyway. What was he doing going there? Was it like silly him? Like he looked like a, a responsible, had it all together kind of UPS guy. Except for the fact Anybody would, should have, everybody knows that the front, the doorbell doesn't even work. I mean, it was by chance that I saw him out there. I mean, otherwise those packages were sat in the rain all weekend. Right? He looked like, but he did not understand the standard that he was being measured by. And that was everybody else who does it understands that you go to the side door. Right? Now, was it his fault? Yes. <laughs> yes. Who else's fault was it? <laughs> Now, I tell my kids all the time, it's not fair to compare, right? It's not fair to compare, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway because actually that's what we're going to talk about here in just a second. It's funny to talk about the mailman and him not understanding what, what things were, how he was supposed to do them. But oftentimes I think that we don't really grasp this. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love funny and sad story at the same time. At Wednesday night, I was talk, going around to the, the kids at the tables, you know, while they were eating and, and goofing around. Uh, and I was asking them, the little kids, you know, what do you, why do you like coming here on Wednesday nights? And, you know, it was everything from chicken nuggets to, 
to basketball. They, you know, it was all kinds of stuff. You know, they just gave little kid answers, and it was great. That they'd love to come. I went, they were excited to tell me all the reasons why they wanted to come. And then talking to the older kids. You can't come right out and ask because they'll just look at you like, that's a stupid question, and walk away. Wouldn't y'all? Yes, you would. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, didn't, I never asked quite like that. But, but I hear conversations at school, uh, as I coach at school and, and here in the community, young people, old people, people in general, who are just callous and judgmental, right? Just comparing themselves to each other and, and putting others down for the way that what they think and how they are and how they dress and whatever else. Michelle heard uh, on Wednesday, I don't know if it was this week or a couple weeks or last week, but I don't remember, but uh, heard one of the one of the kids, I think I hope it was a kid, uh, the kid said, I'll never forgive anyone. I'll never forgive anyone. And while that's kind of shocking and it's kind of sad, I praise God, that, true as well, that, that that kid and others who think like that are in a room full of people who, who know forgiveness and know what God's love is and can show it, right? Can show it. I don't know if you were there on Friday night, but there were a bunch of those kids from Wednesday that were there serving. And one of them's here today, two of them are here today. And it was just, it was great to see them interacting with the church. And I pray that they understood the love that was had for them. But more importantly, I pray that we were able to show them God's love in the midst of it all. This verse, anyone who does not know the love does not know God. It's a reality that if we don't, if we don't, if we can't love, then we can't claim to be a Christian. We're like that UPS guy who's going to look the part, but he's not. He's, he's messing up. He's not doing it the right way, even though the, it was kind of arbitrary, what was right, right? The fact is, you can't forgive if you can't love. Can't love if you don't know God. So the question is, do you know God's love for you? Do you realize that God allowed His Son to die for you? To restore you into a relationship with Him? Today you'll get a chance to reflect on that for a moment. Not only did Jesus establish a new standard for love, He also did something else with this new command. This new command introduced a new way to measure, a new consequence, as well as a new command, right? He said it in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know if you're my disciples, if you love one another. Now, just think about that verse. Spend some time thinking about it. What he's saying here, what Jesus is saying is probably the most remarkable thing in this whole passage. What Jesus is saying is that I'm actually going to invite the world to judge my disciples. That's what he's saying. I'm going to invite the world to judge my disciples. It's a new consequence to love, you see? Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, a, a popular author and speaker, he, he picked up on this new consequence of love that, that comes in this. And he said this, this love is the mark that Jesus gives to label a Christian not just in one era or in one locality, but at all times and all places until Jesus returns. This is our uniform. This is, our, this is the big brown truck, right? This is how we're to be known, love. This is the thing that's to mark all Christians at all times in all places. It doesn't matter if you're here 
or in Saudi Arabia, or in Germany, Venezuela, doesn't matter where you are. Love is to mark a disciple. Love. He continues and he says this. He says, Jesus turns to the world and says, I've got something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right, he says. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love he shows to all Christians. It's amazing that Jesus would do that, isn't it? I mean, I just think that it's amazing that he would, he would put us, he would, he would force us into a place, us as disciples, he would force his disciples into a place where they would be and should be judged by the world around them, whether or not they were his disciples. Like, he gives them the, like, don't judge me. Oh, no, God said judge me, right? Like, that's what he's saying here is, y'all judge them. Y'all decide if they're disciples or not. The early church understood this. The early church, they got this right away. We read in the book of Acts all about the church gathered in homes, sharing everything that they had in common. Like, they, they, they were living together, sharing their stuff. No one was in need. The world around them was skeptical about what they believed, for sure, but they were intrigued. They were intrigued by the way they loved each other. Matter of fact, they, they wanted to work with Christians. They wanted to work with, with work for Christians. They wanted to live next door to Christians. Why? Because of the way they treated the people around them. They were captivating the love that they had. And so in the, in the epistles, in the letters in the New Testament, they write again and again and again. The, the writers are telling the churches, love one another. That's your marching order. That's your uniform. That's the standard. So let me ask you, what would the world say about your love for it and for, one, for other Christians? Would you be accused of loving generously? And if I were to be honest, I kind of have to be, if I were to be honest, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the world would say that about me personally. I do know for the church as a whole, I don't mean Rock Hall Church, I mean the church today. I, do, I am pretty sure that the church today, that, that we no longer have a reputation for love. I believe we as a church have allowed ourselves to be divided up so that we're known more for what we're against than for who we love. I truly believe that. I don't believe that we're a church where people feel compelled to come and see, to come and see how folks are, love one another. Instead, I believe the church today is more likely to be known not for being for Rock Hall, but what in Rock Hall is not right. Food pantry is a great start, but it's a start. Wednesday nights are a great start just a start. Small groups that you have, the crisis fund, those are all great things, great places to start, but they are just a start because love never stops. Love never stops. Looking for needs, looking for places to invest itself. Love never stops looking for a crack which to fill in this world. Love never stops. 
It never relaxes. So back to the greatest dinner party of all time, as Bill called it last week, right? <clears throat> Jesus has been talking about love and how this is a new commandment. But, but Peter and the other disciples, they miss it completely. They are completely caught up in what he said five minutes ago. I, I find this talking to my son all the time. I used to think it was just a teenage thing, but he's no longer a teenager. But he still does it, right? And I guess I'd do it too. My wife, if she were here, she would say, oh, no, he got that from you. Like, like she'll tell me something. I'm on the conversation that we, that we had like before we left the house. Ever, that ever experience happened there? That's exactly what the disciples are doing. It says it in verse 36. But, but Lord, where are you going? Like Jesus has been talking about love. Like, you've got to love each other. That's what I'm leaving you to do. He says, but, 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 but where are you going? They missed it completely. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow me later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I've been following you for three years. I gave up everything to follow you. I'll lay down my life for you, he says. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Will you really? Do you really love me like that? He says, truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter wanted to love Jesus like that. Peter wanted to love Jesus so that he, would, he could love others. He wanted to, he wanted to be able to follow, because that's what love meant. But Jesus, you see, knew his heart better than he knew his own heart. Jesus knew his heart better than he knew his own heart. His problem wasn't, wasn't not being able to follow, you see. His problem was that he didn't realize the, the limitations of his love. He didn't understand how little he was able to love Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean, he could not follow. He wanted to, but he couldn't. He wanted to do the right thing, but he couldn't. He wanted to to do it right. He wanted to be obedient. He wanted all those things, but he could not, Jesus says. You can't follow me now. But soon he would follow. But soon he would. In just a few days, he would stand up in front of the world and say, I am a disciple of Jesus. In just a few days, he would stand up and tell everyone that I love you because Jesus loves me and died for me. In just a few days, he would stand up and say that. What changed? What's what's the difference between a few days from now, John, and and today's Peter? What happened in Peter's life? Pentecost, if you don't know, in the church world. Pentecost was when 40 days after Jesus died, the Holy Spirit came and filled the disciples. Filled their lives and and changed them from the inside out, empowered them to live. A gift of God. God gave His Spirit to those who follow Him. And He equipped them to love, like Jesus followed this new command, to love one another. It's given in a response to faith. You believe and God gives the Holy Spirit. And that faith came from spending some time in that upper room thinking about all that God had done for them. All that God had done for them. In the name of Jesus. That Holy Spirit created a new community. Created this new love. This new commandment. Imagine what it would look like. Just imagine for a minute. What it would look like if you loved one another's like this. If you loved like Jesus says to love one another, to serve, to forgive, to to help, to give, 
to encourage, to lift up. What would our community look like, right? What would our community look like if, if, as they argue about impeachment or fake news, as they argue about uh, the tram or the budget, like, like if they argue about all these things in our world, right, what would it look like if the church, if, if you as the, Jesus' person here on this earth stepped into that and just loved people? Just loved people in the midst of the ridiculousness of it all. Not looking to get credit for the successes or finding blame for the failures, just to love people as they were. What would a community that just loved look like? Love people in spite of mistakes, in spite of shortcomings. Love people in spite of habits or hang-ups. What would a community look like like that look like? I think it would be amazing, personally. I think it would be absolutely amazing. Do you know it's possible? Do you know that, that that community is actually possible? It really is. It's not, I mean, it happened back then. The church was different from the world around it, and yet people were drawn to it like flies to honey, right? It, or bees to honey, I guess it should be, right? <laughs> flies are drawn to something else. Uh, <laughs> but just like then, that could happen now. How did it happen then? In me. And in you. And then as it happened in me and in you, it, it was us. And then it was his church. But it starts with me, with you. Got good news for some of you. If you're here today, and you feel like, you know, I want to love people like that. Like, I, I really, but I struggle with that. If that's you, it's a good thing you're in church today. Because before you leave, we're going to give you something that's going to enable you to love like that. It's magic. It's magic. If you're here today and you're like, I'm not even so sure that could even happen. I'm sure I love Jesus, but I don't even know if that's even possible with me. For all I've done and been through and how I've messed up things, well, it's good news you were here today too. Because that thing that, that makes it possible for those who actually want it and think they're doing it and are just realizing,